Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. I'm so excited to get my guest on just so we can talk to you. I'm going to jump right into it. My guest today is the lead vocalist and one of the founding members of the legendary hip-hop group Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill was the first hip-hop group to have a multi-platinum and platinum albums, having sold over 20 million albums worldwide and garnering critical acclaim for their first five albums. All the group members have advocated for medical and recreational use cannabis. Mr. Lewis Freese, who is better known as Be Real, is here and uh, with us right here today on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. So say hello. Thank you so much, sir, for being a part of the show. Thank you for having me, sir. Absolutely. Look, before we delve into the cannabis talk, let's talk a little bit about your background in music. I mean, where'd you grow up? You know, when, when did you get involved in music? I was born and raised in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, I grew up on the Lower East Side. Um, I moved around a lot. My parents, you know, they were always into things. So we moved around a lot. So I was just absorbing everything the whole time. And, I, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of different stuff. My father was into 50s doo-wop type of music. My mother was into the Latino, you know, salsa, merengue, and all that stuff. You have a multi-ethnic background, right? Totally right. Yeah. 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 My mother's Cuban. My father's Mexican. So I had a good a good healthy diet of of listening to a lot of different stuff. My mother was into the Beatles and stuff like that. So I got into the Beatles and stuff. My brothers and sisters, they used to like listening to oldies. So I had this great mixture of, of music that I would listen to. But me, I, I personally was listening to a lot of rock at the time, you know, ACDC, uh, Ozzy Osbourne and things like that. And it wasn't until I moved over to Southgate and met met Send Dog and, and his brother and and some mutual friends we have there, and uh, you know we started. I started getting familiar with the with the, um, a radio station called KDAY 1580 KDAY. It was a legendary AM station here that was playing hip hop before FM was playing hip hop on radio. And I heard Run DMC for the first time, and they had rock guitars. Well, for, at first it was it was just the regular beat. It was the big drum beat. I think they had, and I, I thought, what what is this? this right here what is this and then i started hearing more from them via k-day and then i heard a song called rock box mm -hmm. uh, from run dmc where they used heavy guitars and and uh you know live drums and all that stuff and it got me i was like this is it right here i stopped listening to rock and solely hip-hop from there and that that's run dmc they they, they got me into hip-hop and then, you know, uh, I mean, what, how did your career take off? I mean, so you were listening. So, I mean, what, would you, you met, you said you met up with a couple of guys. Yeah. So Send Dog and, and, and his brother Mellow Man Ace, you know, they were into the hip hop scene. They were doing like B-boy and pop popping and all that stuff. But they were transitioning now into being rappers. And I knew them at this point and I was writing poetry and stuff like that. And Mellow sort of, you know, taught me how to, um, how to uh, switch up the poetry into to writing a rap, like making the rhymes on beat and all that stuff. And, you know, from the word count to the syllables and all that stuff, he sort of gave me that and I started getting into it. And so that became my hobby. I got out of the B-boy um, aspect of hip hop like they did and, and got into the rapping and we were doing it just for fun. You know what I mean? It was, it was like, our hobby, like we loved it. It wasn't like we had any intentions of making records or anything like that. 
uh, I fell off for a little while though, um, while they kept going. And while I fell off, I got involved with gangs and stuff like that. I was, you know, running the streets. I was in a blood gang and uh, just doing wild things as, as you can imagine. But my brothers were, were making their way into the industry. Um, Muggs partnered up with a group called 783 and he got in with them and uh, eventually he helped to get Mellow Man Ace into a, a record deal situation with Delicious Vinyl. And so while they were doing that, they were constantly trying to get me back into the fold and off the street. And I was resistant because I was pretty much indoctrinated into the gang gangster lifestyle and and I would not have any of it. You know, I was like, I got to be in these streets <laughs> and all that hoopla. Right. And uh, I don't know what changed my mind, but, you know, they said, hey, what do you got to lose, man? Just come to the studio with us. And we know you can write because I was, you know, they always mugs felt I was always a talented writer, not so much a rapper at that point. I still had a lot of work to do to become a decent enough rapper because I wasn't that great then, but my writing was decent. So they tried one more time to pull me off the street. And I guess for some reason I was more receptive on this, this point. I, I Maybe I got tired of them, you know, consistently coming at me, come try this, come try this. And I thought, you know what, what do I have to lose? You know, I'm here on the street. Fuck it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with these guys and see what, what happens. Right. And I got bitten by the studio bug. Like, I, you know, they're they're recording for Delicious Vinyl at this point for Mello's record. And I'm writing two songs for him on this record. And I'm seeing Tone Lope come through, who was like what Snoop Dogg is now at the time. Young, young MC, who was like huge at the time. And they're coming in the studio and I'm like, wow. You know, it just blew me away that I was around this greatness and um, or what I considered to be great. And I, I started wanting to be in the studio more than I wanted to be on the street. I thought it was the coolest thing. And, and that's pretty much what reeled me in. And then uh, the, to say the, less, the rest of this history is an understatement. Yeah. You know, you I went mean, on to... Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it was uh, it was a bumpy road getting here. But, you know, we all made the sacrifices and, and I, you know, it's just that I fell in love with it again. When it was a hobby, it was a hobby and we did it because we loved it. But I fell in love with it again when I wrote the two songs and I heard him, you know, um, you know, record the songs. And, and, you know, I was thinking, shit, I wrote that. That's awesome. And and I wanted to do more. So, yeah, I, we, I stuck to my guns, so to speak, off the street, but in the studio. But in a time when, you know, it wasn't very popular, it wasn't vogue at all to be talking about cannabis, a lot of your messaging and a lot of your songs back then really rode the, the wave of cannabis, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, we were just being ourselves. It wasn't it wasn't our intention to, like, be advocates or, or um, you know, we didn't realize that what we were doing was activism in, in the music and advocacy in the music. We were just sort of you know, rolling up, uh, you know, hoisting up the flag for the cannabis generation, you know, unconsciously because it's who we were. We we were the guys who would buy High Times magazine and and uh, read the articles and read the freedom fighting articles and obviously look at the the weed the the cannabis centerfolds and all the beautiful buds that they would constantly put in there, but. You know, it, it was something that rubbed off on us. So when we were making the music, we weren't even thinking like, oh, we got to make songs about getting high. We were just doing it. 
And, you know, as as we're coming out, it's taboo as hell. Especially. And everybody everybody knew if they went to one of your concerts, you know, there'd be some fragrance in the air. <laughs> right. You know, we were taking major chances at, in these times because here we are doing um, hip hop music, which is like the bastard child at the time of music genres. You know, they didn't want to give us nothing. Right. Punk rock and hip hop were very much similar in this way. They don't want to give us nothing. We got to work and struggle for it every every step of the way. So here we are in this genre, um, and and we're talking about cannabis. So it, it's two two strikes against us at this point. And you're yeah. showing up at concert venues, blowing up the spot. Right, and we're playing in like places that are very non friendly to can cannabis. And and uh, smoking weed on stage while law enforcement was right there, just you know, watching us and you know, wondering if if is that real cannabis they're smoking? Nah, they gotta be. They they can't be. They wouldn't be. No. And we were, we, we were just brazen with it, and we acted like, hey, this is the norm. This should be the norm. We're gonna make this the norm. And and fortunately, man, you know, um, to to uh. <laughs> The blessing of God, I would say, we never really got hassled too much. I think I received one citation in Denver, of all places, for smoking weed on stage. Most times, I'll say this, the law enforcement were very cool with us. I mean, I don't know why they liked us, but they liked us enough to give us a warning. Like, if if they were going to allow us to smoke on stage, they just wouldn't say anything. They'd just be like turning the blind eye type of thing, right? But if we were in a town like this, zero tolerance, like let's just say Texas, if the cops liked us, they would come. They would come up to us backstage and be like, "Hey, look, we know who you are. We know you like to blaze that weed on stage, but you know, we don't want to have to take you to jail. So, don't blaze up tonight. You could do what you want. We want to have a good time. I know you want to have a good time. Don't blaze up." You say, okay, I got you, my brother. (laughs) And whenever they would, like, I always looked at it like, man, that's awesome. Because, you know, if they really wanted to to mess with us, right, and make us. They'd be right in the dressing room. Yeah, they could have just searched us right then and there or allowed us to um, smoke on stage and then come get us and then search our bus and all that stuff and make a, a true example of us. But I felt like those guys had enough respect for us to warn us and and to let us decide whether we were going to cross that line after you know them being respectful as they were to tell us like hey we don't want to do it we're fans of you but if you do it we're just doing our job we have to take you to jail and i always respected that i never like i never took it like uh oh how dare them i'm a smoke right in front of them just because they they came and told me that and you know i think the mutual respect factor is why I think they allowed us to do these things and, and not necessarily come and, and racked us up the way they could have. Cause I mean, we were being very bold about what we were doing and we really didn't care. You know, it we was brazen, very, brazen at a time when they didn't think that hip hoppers should be brazen. Right. right. And, and, you know, they, they let us get away with it, you know? Um, but I think it's, it's because, in spite of the things that we were talking about in songs like Pigs, um, they knew we were being respectful and, and 
you know, we, we were, we were putting on a show and we weren't like dogging them while we were doing it, you know, um, even though we'd maybe play the song pigs and they'd be looking at us sideways, but most of them were fans. It was the craziest thing. I mean, I, I could remember, um, it's a crazy relationship we, we have with law enforcement because we, we're not talking about all cops. We're talking about corrupt cops, right. which we know exist. We see it more than we ever have. We've known about it longer than we can remember, but we can see it today. But back then, I think, you know, you had songs like Fuck the Police and um, Ice-T's Cop Killer. And then you had songs like, you know, Pigs from us. And I think they know the difference. Like, if you're a good cop, this doesn't offend you because you know that they're not talking about, these guys are not talking about you. You, that's right. And we never generalized and said all cops are bad because we know that that is not, that is not true. Um, so, you know, I, I think... I think they gave us a pass on a lot of the times because they knew, okay, we're, we're, you know, we're, they're not talking about us. They're talking about cops we know, and mm -hmm. that's fine. And, and well, so, you know, respect to to the law enforcement who who, you know, were fans and, and that allowed us to be us and not, you know, make us an example, man. I mean, yeah, respect to those, to those who could see the difference, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, now you you've been touring continuously for well, I guess every now and then, but you just dropped a brand new album last month, right? Back in black. Tell us a little bit about the album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, we were surprised on, on the re the, the reaction and the reception and the impact that it's had because I mean, you know, we're a 30, 30 year old group. We're all, you know, fifth in our fifties and stuff like that. And record companies traditionally have a hard time connecting your original fan base Along, you know, they're geared to get the new younger fan base, right? This is their marketing and their 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 um, promotional strategic, you know, tactic is we're going for the young fans, and there's always that disconnect. And so, for for artists like us, it's 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 hard reconnecting people our age that grew up with us because now regular life sets in, and you're not waiting for new music on Tuesdays and Fridays like you did when you were in your teens, in your 20s, you're going to work because you got a lease or a mortgage to pay and all these other fucking bills. So, you know, it's 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 that disconnect. So, you know, we never expected the reaction that we got. And, and you know, we thought it would be slow going because that's the way it is after, you know, a certain amount of time. Because radio, like the record companies, don't know how to connect you with teens when you're you know, a 50 year old rapper trying to connect with 18 to 34. Right. Um, so you sort of got to just do you and not care about any of that. And that's what we did. We sort of did what we always do. Right. Like that. The, we don't care approach what everybody else is doing in the moment. This is us right now. And you're either going to receive it or not. And it, it, this particular album was meant to only be an EP. Right. <sighs> We we were working on uh, Elephants on Acid with with DJ Muggs, our original producer and DJ, and uh, you know there was some time that we had off, and we took the time to um, you know uh, make make a piece that would that would come out after Elephants on Acid or perhaps before. It depended on what project was going to get done first because Muggs was very busy at this time. We all were pretty much. And uh, so we were recording in between sessions when 
Elephants uh, was not recording or, or in session. We, we were recording um, Back in Black with Black Milk. And again, it was supposed to be an EP, but the first four songs came out. So, you know, we had such a great vibe on them that we were like, well, let's do a few more songs. And a few more songs turned into a few more. And then it became an album. And we're like, wow, this, you know, this whole piece has a vibe. We should put this out as, as an album. So um, that was the plan, you know, we just had to decide what was gonna go first. And we thought, you know what, people have been waiting for this elephants on acid thing with mugs for, for quite a while. So let's put this out first, we'll let it breathe, and then we'll stick them with Back in Black. And Back in Black was meant to be, you know, for me, our last Cypress Hill album. Cause you know, the music industry and, and and the way music is received has changed so much since the time we started to now. And it's it's starting to, to, to morph into something different. So we, you know, for me, I didn't want to like keep doing this this traditional album thing. I wanted to 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 create a different experience. But I realized that, you know, this album can't be the last one because Muggs has to produce the last one. You know, that that's the only way it's acceptable. So, you know. There will be one more after this one, but like this was meant to be the last one. And so we put a lot of effort into um, Sen and I trading off on vocals and Sen, Sen Dog leading leading some of the songs because traditionally I lead them. And uh, we wanted to give them something different. Like, you know, we're always trying to be out of the box as a hip hop group and as Cypress Hill. And how's it being received? How's it being received by your, your general Cypress Hill fans? Right. And so I thought, you know what, we're going to be out of our own box. Instead of me leading the scenario, we're both going to lead. And, um, you know, that that was that was the concept, like the trading back and forth rhyme, the rhyme style, like what you used to hear from Run DMC and the Beastie Boys and stuff like that. And, Angela or Angela. And, and us early on. Excuse me, my wife just right. called. Me. <laughs> but I, I, she's going to have to hold up. Cause I'm I'm on with Montel. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's go back and start that whole that whole phrase that whole line again. <laughs> so, that point again. <laughs> so you know, in making this in, in making this album, it's you know what was meant to be the last one, but we couldn't do it like that. We had to to make it you know be with mugs. But we caught this this vibe with this album, and and we felt like our fans would love this because it's different. It's, it's, it's different than the piece before it. It was uh, with, with elephants on acid. There was a lot of, it was like psychedelic, slow, grimy, trippy hip hop. It was very artsy in, in, in as, as a, as a hip hop album goes, it wasn't very boom bapish, right? Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So it relates to a lot of our core fans that like that dark, um, that dark, grimy hip hop that it's, it has a psychedelic tone to it. It's almost like horrorcore, if you will. Um, Back in Black has that boom bap sensibility where, you know, anyone in hip hop can sort of um, relate to it in, in such a way. It's it's not too psychedelic for your 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 average hip hop fan because sometimes hip hop fans they want that that boom bap. They don't necessarily trip off the the off of the the psychedelic thing. So, you know, it's it's just another piece that represents who we are in this time, man. And I got to salute Black Milk for giving us such a great vibe, you know, as a producer on this. I mean, I think he really hit it on the head. It, 
you know, with, with what Cypress Hill is now in the boom bap aspect of hip hop. And, and and again, how do your fans receive this? Are they, are they coming out? You're touring, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're about to start up a, a tour with uh, Slipknot in um, mid May, but we've been doing sporadic dates here and there. The shows have been, you know, great as, as they normally have been. And, but you know, the feedback on the album has been incredible. Like a lot of people is like, you know, have come back and said, Hey man, this, <clears throat> this sounds like your old school music, like, you know, sort of like black Sunday and, and temples of boom, like a return to that sound. But like right now, and you know, they've been stoked off of uh send dogs, um, his contributions for this particular album, because he's done great on every album, you know, like that's my that's my partner. You know, he sort of motivated me into this, right? Um, but traditionally, I've led, as, as I said earlier. And on this album, he just came with the fire. And people, and I told, I told the crew before the album came out, and, you know, I could pat myself on the back for that. I said, people are going to freak off of how great Send Dog sounds right now on this album. I mean, like, he's right there. And they're like, you think so? I said, yeah, I know so, man. I'm hearing it for myself. And I've been, you know, doing music with Send Dog for 30 years, at over 30 years, if you count the years before we actually got signed, you know, 35, 36 years. And I've never heard him sound so goddamn good as, as he sounds on this album right here, you know? And, uh, you know, we're very proud of that. And the fans been like, you know, telling us these things. So it's, it's been great reception and, and, uh, you know, we didn't expect it to be honest. I mean, we don't look at things like that. We're just thinking about being creative in the moment, doing the songs and then, then pushing the whole piece out and seeing how it's received. You know, it's a gamble for artists. You could create something you think is great. You put it out and then the big, you know, the 12, 12 come out. I mean, the six, six come out on the dice and you crapped out, you know? Yeah, it's really weird. I I, uh, I have on times I, I I watched the Grammys the other night, watched parts of it. Some of it I understood, some of it I didn't. It's like you know, it's like the the music industry is all over the place in a way now. Right. Um, yeah, you know the Grammys have changed so so much over the the course of the years, and they have to. You know, they have to evolve and they have to get new talent up there and 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 lift them up because really that's what the Grammys is is there for. Because it's not it's not a choice by the people, you know, that that listen to the music. It's not based off of your record sales or your charting or your ticket sales or, or um, any of that. It's it's basically the industry's favorite, like whoever they want to lift. So if you are you and I are on the Grammy board, um, there's a board there. There's several boards. Right. And, you know, one of them is the nominee committee. Right. Like so. Who's the list of people that we are going to honor with the Grammy this year? And then it's up to you and I to vote in our categories, you know, and we, you know, back in the day, you could only vote in your category. So if I came in as a, a Grammy member, board member or whatever, I would have to list myself as hip hop music and I can only vote in that section. I can't vote for R&B. I can't vote for country. I can't vote for anything else. It's subject to your genre. And, you know, I think that that part has been 
kind of, you know, I don't know if they still do that, but that was always crap because a lot of us listen to a lot of different genres of music. Sure. And we know them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so it's like it's 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 people that are on the board in these subcategories and all the different categories of music that vote on these artists that they're gonna lift up. Some of them are well-known artists, as you know, pop stars and uh star, you know, stars in the mainstream, and then obscure artists that they try to lift up, you know what I mean? That maybe haven't sold record one yet, but they love the way this artist sounds. So it's it's a great, it's 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 a great platform by the music industry to lift people up. Do they get it right all the time? No, they don't. They've got it wrong for, for many years. They've gotten certain categories just horribly wrong. But they try, and that's everything, you know? And uh, I think it's great that, that we have it so that they can lift artists up. But, yeah, a lot of times they, they drop the ball on things, too, you know? Because I used to be a member, and then I dropped off. And then, you know, just seeing it all going down like I just sort of got disenchanted with watching the Grammys for a long time. I, I would not go because there was a time I would go and then there was a time I'd watch. And and then I stopped watching because I'd just be disgusted by what I was seeing. Great some some great performances, just presentation and and the artists that they're lifting up, right? And after a while, you know, I got over that and my wife <laughs> loves watching the Grammys. So she got me back into watching them. And I so I watched this year and I thought it was cool. Uh, and and congratulations to, to John Baptiste. I mean, he killed it. And, and, and Bruno Mars and, and uh, my man Anderson Pack swept. Yeah. Congratulations yep. to them. Man. Yep. Absolutely. Well, look, let's 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 uh, change the topic for a second. Let's take a little walk down memory lane. You know, I see you got a nice uh, blunt there with you today, but uh, let's talk, let's go way back. What was your first experience with cannabis? So my first experience with cannabis, I was, um, I was like, I had to be 13. I think I was 13. Um, I, I hung out with these group of friends that were like, they would be considered Heshers now, right? They, they, they listened to metal. They had the long hair, the the ACDC shirts, the Rush shirts. I don't know if you remember, they used to rock them that baseball style with the cutoff sleeve. Yeah, um, yeah. That's who they were, right? Those were my friends I'd hang out with. I didn't dress like them. I dressed like a little gangster at the time. But I hung out with them and I listened to the same music. And there was one guy that we knew older than us that we would hang out with after school. We'd go to his his crib after school and we'd hang out with him and listen to to metal. And in the middle of, of, you know, us just hanging out there, you know, doing what young teens do, he would break out this green acrylic bong. And it was like about this big. It was made by graphics and he'd hit it. And then he'd ask us if we wanted to hit. And we, you know, we'd, all right, cool. You know, we saw our older homie hitting it. We thought, oh, let's, we got to be cool like him. Okay, let's hit it. And uh, so that was my first experience. Like it was hitting that little green acrylic bong and I'd go home after, you know, we'd all go home after he, it would be at his apartment. So he's staying there. His parents weren't home. He, that, that's the only reason we were getting high in that apartment. Um, and then we'd all go home. I'd go home and I'd have the fucking munchies. Like you wouldn't believe 
And my mother would consistently ask me every day, like, why are you so hungry when you get home? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, but my mother was a stoner. So I think she knew, you know, she was just sort of like letting me letting me BS her. I think she could smell it on I think she could smell it on me and I think she knew he's coming home hungry every day. <laughs> well and you you and the other members of Cypress Hill have been advocating for cannabis your entire career long before it was vote. And like what what's your take on where the cannabis industry is and how it's progressed right. and, and being accepted in the United States over the last 20 years? I think it's growing um, and there's more acceptance and more understanding. Like it, it, thanks to you and, and, and folks like you that came in, right, and started educating people in a different way, like people that didn't necessarily smoke cannabis or consume it in any way started jumping on our side because they started seeing things in, in terms of the medicinal research and, and the things that, that were happening positive for, for people that were using the CBDs in full spectrum and also smoking and hearing the success stories of people coming back from, you know, life-threatening ailments, right? And it started to open up their minds and, and people that didn't smoke cannabis started jumping on our side and helping educated others like them. And so... That was everything, man. You know, that that opened people up in, in, in such a way that, you know, now it's it's more acceptable as as opposed to, oh, it's the gateway. You still have some bozos that are, you know, claiming it's a gateway drug, but that's because they're uneducated and they refuse to educate themselves. And, you know, yeah, you I, think, I think there's a group of people out there who know that if they change their mind, they are admitting to the fact that they were against something that should have been legal all along that was just used to be an enslavement tool. Absolutely. There's an embarrassment. That's not the, that's the whole thing right now. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that we got 18 states with either legal or medicinal. Well, we have 37 states 37 in the district states. of Columbia now. That's right. That's right. Correction. 37. Okay. 37. The, the fact that we got 37, um, that, that goes to show you the rate uh, of this movement as it's growing, like most, most recently, most recently a poll was done, and for the first time, I think we finally hit above ninety. It's like ninety-two percent of people in the country believe that cannabis should be made available for people as a medication, and it's well over sixty percent now that believe that cannabis should be used should be made uh, available as an adult use uh, substance. Go yeah, it, that's that the the rate of growth for this industry is incredible and and the acceptance and the education we still have hurdles though i mean you know what's happening in in some of our some of the states here in terms of taxation is it's 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 horrible especially well, you, can, you can talk directly to that because you started down your own brand right tell us a little bit about the dr green thumb brand and go ahead and tell me about the taxation issue but you started as a brand or of a brand of dispensaries and right. you're right in the middle of this whole issue out there in california are you not right yes absolutely you know um i started the dr green thumb brand through a song with cypress through a song with cypress hill and uh, when I came into the cannabis industry, I, I decided to use that as as the brand that I come in with. Um, 
And, uh, you know, it started off like the idea to be a product line, you know, for flowers and, and concentrates and edibles, you know, building up to that. But we got to a certain point where we're like, well, you know, our, 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 our name is pretty strong. Why don't we use the, that particular brand for the retail space, right? And so we opened up store one in Silmar, and then we started opening up uh, several other stores. There's the sixth one is about to open up on April 16th by LAX. So um, you carry not only your own branded products, but other brands? Oh, yeah. We, we carry everybody's top shelf brands, in, including our own, which is uh, the insane brand. And so, you know, we, we, we started Dr. Green Thumb brand initially to do products, but we said, you know what? It's bigger than that. Let's use that for the retail. And we created Insane as the product brand. And so, you know, we do everything pretty much ourselves. We don't outsource anything in terms of the Insane brand. You know, we have our own cultivation. Um, we don't, you know, rely on anyone else. So, you know, we're dealing with it from, from every aspect from step one to where we are now, right? And well, just, I, you know, what I'm gonna have to do is I'm gonna have to re I have my, my office reach out to you because you know I've I've had a brand in the marketplace for years now, and just relaunched my THC brand in Massachusetts, looking to get on the ground in California. So maybe I can come out there and work with you guys. Oh yeah, absolutely. I got a, I got a, I got a very unique brand that's uh uh that's uh, called Inspire by Montel. That's our THC brand. And Inspire is, is based on my now 20 years of kind of research and digging into the product myself, understanding the synergism between THC, CBD, and terpenes. And so I make formulations. I'm a formulator myself. So I make formulations that have a proprietary terpene profile, all hemp-based, cannabis-based, no food grade for any of my smokables. And that terpene profile is then added to a CBD-THC combination of varied strengths so that I can elicit a response or the patient can elicit a response that they want, able to titrate themselves. So maybe we ought to talk about that a little bit. I can. That would, that would be amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But now let's talk a little bit more, though, about Dr. Green Thumb. So is, is the business doing well? You've run into the same issues that a lot of other people oh, in the yeah. team have run into, especially in California, with this heavy taxation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 our shops do uh, do really well with traffic because of, you know, consistent outreach on all of our platforms, you know, making people aware that we exist, one. And that, you know, the products that we carry um, and then staying consistent with that, making sure that we have the best top shelf <laughs> that we could have and <laughs> affordable brands that actually are really good that that uh, people would come in for. So we try to have something for everyone, but great quality in, in every level of it. So um, people have come to trust us with that. So we, we we've done pretty well in terms of traffic for every shop. Um, you know, like every, like every business, sometimes you have your, you know, really busy times and sometimes it slows down. So, you know, we all have that. Um, every, every, um, dispensary has that part. Um, <laughs> you into, did you, did you run into any problems back there before the end of COVID where there was all these stores getting hit? No, no. Oh, you know, we, we actually, maintained um a steady flow of consumers coming through um it was incredible to see that 
you know, and, and uh, we didn't we didn't see too much of a drop <laughs> in that time. We actually saw a hike or a spike, I should say, and we were all pretty surprised by that. But you know, well, you know, I mean, I think that's something that was definitely a trend. You know, we know that you know cannabis represented in two twenty twenty one. 2020 2021 cannabis sales were close to 28 billion dollars yes which is amazing when you look at the fact that it milk only accounted for 18 billion dollars worth of sales at the same time in grocery stores milk so yeah. <laughs> you know and i think the closest thing to cannabis was energy drinks so of course alcohol was above cannabis but energy drinks only accounted for like 23 24 billion dollars worth of sales so you know the cannabis industry was definitely a central industry during covid oh yeah moving now that certain cannabinoids have the ability to block the covid virus from even the spike proteins on the covid virus from even entering our cells you know it was great that they put that on the news and they and 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 they gave people that information because usually they're trying to suppress any positive information about cannabis. Well, believe me, they they're not they ain't slowing down on trying to suppress or trying to give out the wrong information. I I recently read an article a couple of days ago that's trying to vilify cannabis, and I won't even go into what ways, but trying to vilify cannabis. Why? Because you know I think there is a certain group out there that understands that cannabis is here to stay yes. ain't going nowhere. So now they're they're upset because it's starting to bite into the lion's share of their bullshit products that they're selling to replace them. Absolutely. That is that is one hundred percent the facts right there. Um you know Jack Herrera said it best and 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 he educated me about this industry and and uh, the politics of it. It's the number one cash crop. And they, they've suppressed that forever. And if you were, were to legalize cannabis in every state and allow it to sell in, you know, the, you know, the stores that are deemed as the retail space for cannabis or however they put it out there. But if it was out there in every state and, and legal to buy over the counter and all that, you know, done, done properly, it, I believe it would outsell alcohol. Oh, well, I mean, I think that we know right now when they, when they, when they run numbers in California, you know, we run numbers and look at, we're probably only looking at a third of the market share. And when you're talking yeah. about legal cannabis, illegal cannabis out there represents, you know, two thirds. And, you know, when you look at the numbers, if you're looking at 20, you know, let's say the 28 billion dollars worth of cannabis was sold during 2021, 2022, it really was more like $80 billion worth of cannabis was sold constantly yeah. because, you know, the legal market only represents that third and 80 billion is right on par with alcohol. And we know that a lot of people shifted from alcohol to cannabis during COVID because they got tired of waking up with a fucking hangover, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and, you know, it's, it's better for you. We all know that, that, uh, it's 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 a healing herb, you know. However, you consume it, um, whether you, if you're taking CBDs with it, that's even better, you know. Um, the, people don't realize that the healing benefits that there is into consuming cannabis, you know. So, um, but I think that people are are understanding a little bit more now. 
because there's more information available to them. They can't suppress. They, I mean, they, you know, via the news, they can suppress disinformation by not giving it to you, right? But being that we have the internet and people hunt for information in a different way than they used to, you know, it's right there at our fingertips now. So you could you could learn about this and and get educated as opposed to, you know, fall for the same bullshit that some of these these old school folks that are still in seats of power um, portray this as the gateway and and this and all that, you know, that's all bullshit propaganda, you know, educate yourself, get, get on a computer search and study. But I also think that's part of, that's also part of what I consider the biggest problem in our industry still to today is the fact that we have an industry where, you know, unfortunately we don't, concentrate enough on educating our consumers. We have a lot of conferences around the country, a lot of, you know, conventions around the country. And when you walk into them, what are they? They're nothing more than B2B conventions because you got a whole bunch of vendors trying to sell you some more shit to put in your dispensary rather than coming in with information to help drive more people to your dispensary. And you drive more people to your dispensary by giving them a base knowledge education so they want to know they know what to come in and ask for. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so shocked that we as an industry haven't understood that as much. And I get it. We're not allowed to advertise in any state. I think that it's legal in. But, but education is different than advertising. And if we go about it and don't care whether or not this brand sells faster than your brand, but we sell the idea of what's in all brands. The rising tide lifts all boats. But unfortunately, we are so caught up still trying to put the next guy down or put the next guy down to see if we can make a buck more than them. The industry is so cutthroat that we are our, our greatest nemesis. Uh, you know, that's, yeah, I mean, you hit it right on the head. It, I mean, it, it even goes to so far as to, you see where the taxation here is in California, practically 40% for, for the consumer and the operator. Right. And everybody complains about it. Oh, you know, that's why we didn't want to legalize cannabis. They're in our pockets and this and that. But this is what had to happen. I mean, you know, and, and a, a lot of people spoke to this, that this was going to happen. And, you know, a lot of us think it's to flush out the mom and pop style businesses and the independent businesses without the funding that it takes to get through this business. Right. Then you have all these regulations and the taxation that's happening right now. You know, it makes it hard to exist in this industry. If you're trying to come in to this industry, you better have funding, right? Um, so it, it it makes it harder wh where it's at with this taxation to to to, to live in in this competitive <laughs> this competitive market, right? Um, but what I often thought should happen is. Before the corporations send their lobbyists in to take the taxation down and make it great for them, while all these folks get wiped out of the business, we as the industry should come together and, you know, get with lobbyists for our cause as opposed to letting the corporations do it because that's the way that they're going to flush the rest out. And you're going to see a lot of people have to, you know, sell to the to these corporations to live or for their brands to exist, or they're just going to get flushed out. 
And yeah, you know, legacy markets having problems all over the country, and you nailed it. It's because you know, big businesses stepped in, and you know, big businesses okay with kissing the butt of those legislators who pass the bills. So to right. give them extra taxes, they don't care because as long as they they have a bigger margin than you have, they feel as if they're going to win. Yeah. Um, but I think that does nothing for us as an industry. I tell you, one of the things. As a suggestion for you is as you're torn, especially as you're torn in California, you guys have a big video screen? Yeah. Yeah. Shit, man. I'm telling you, before I walked out on stage, if I were you, I'd put together a really nice educational video. That's you know, it doesn't even have to be, be, be you could do it with uh, uh, subtitles. It doesn't yeah. have to be audio and just put together a video just to educate people and say, you know, why cannabis? Put it on that screen. If it runs for two minutes while they're waiting for you to come out there to jazzed up. You educate the masses, man. That's more people coming into the stores. You know what? We're gonna do that, Montel. You just, you know what? You just gave me the jewel. We're definitely gonna do that because I'm, I'm telling you, my, my brother, more more businesses like more guys like you who are in the industry. That's what we should all be doing before you walk on that stage. There should be a video up there educating people, telling them that. Did you know that you have an endocannabinoid system? What is an endocannabinoid system? It is as a mammal, you have a secondary sympathetic nervous system that was made to receive cannabinoids. You make them yourself without even smoking, without ever touching the plant. I can test you when you have endocannabinoids circulating through your body. There are, there are particular cells in your brain and in your organs that are made to receive and be you know, antagonized by plant-based cannabis. That's why we we gravitate to it. We and every mammal on the planet. Just put that up there alone and show oh, yeah. you know that's how close you are to to nature. That's what you are. This is what you were born for genetically. You do that to your audience and then saying and let's talk about the fact that this country was wasn't built on tobacco and cotton. This country was built on hemp. All your forefathers smoked it. Yeah. All your forefathers grew it. It was against the law back in 1957, I'm sorry, 1557, 58, and 1600. It was against the law to not grow hemp. You know, so, you know, yeah, yeah, you know that, that's, that's the thing. A lot of people don't know that because they haven't educated themselves. I mean, right. you know, like it, if, if people just looked up the book called uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack yeah. Ware, that's, that's basically the foundation of what you need to know the potential of cannabis and why they've, they've, uh, you know, suppressed it for so many years. And if you don't want to read that length of a book, you know, I got one sitting right here on the shelf right next to me, which is from normal, just put out their book, which is clinical applications for cannabis and cannabinoids. That should be at the, uh, on the, sh on the uh, brother, put it in your dispensary, let yeah. people, you know, buy a copy of it, take it with them because it sits right there. It'll tell them about 40 different maladies that cannabis has been proven to work for. Most people don't know that you always hear from these politicians, well, when they do a little bit more research and they do some more scientific studies, I feel like reaching across the and smacking the shit out of them when they say that. Because yeah. in the last 10 years, there has been 35,000 peer-reviewed published documents on cannabis. In the last year alone, 3,500 of them. That's more research that's been done on cannabis in the last 10 years than any other drug in the marketplace. There's 10 times as much research done on cannabis than there is on alcohol. Yeah. It's crazy when they sit there and, and, and 
get on camera and just straight lie to people. Correct. You know, and serve us or serve people that don't know the bullshit information. And some of them like sheep just fall to that and, 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 and accept that instead of going out and doing their own research. And that's, and that's the thing I, I would say to anyone, you know, hear what you hear from media outlets and all this shit about cannabis, but go do your own research because that's how you're really going to find out and look for credible sources because, you know, there's, there's still big industries and corporations that are threatened by cannabis and they, you know, they'll slow the, slow the progress down as much as they can until they can get a foothold in the industry themselves. I've often said the second that Donald Trump figures out how to get Uday and Kuse and his two sons, boom, cannabis will get, <laughs> cannabis will, will get, get legalized. So look, brother, I mean, you're doing okay, right? In the industry as an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, with all your success, I mean, what do you think needs to happen? What else needs to happen in the industry to make us move forward a little bit better? Well, you know, one, we need one, uh, we need a push for legalization, you know, across the nation, right? Um, that there needs to be that push. But, you know, more than anything, we still got to keep educating each other and, and, and uh, teaching other people about, you know, what this actually is and the potential on, the economics, the 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 medicinal, and even the spiritual, all that you know. Is that what you do through your Doctor Green Thumb show? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, we just try to have fun on on the Doctor Green Thumb show. Give uh, uh, random conversations amongst me and, and other artists, and you know, my co-hosts here. <laughs> sometimes it's educational, and sometimes sometimes it's about absolutely nothing, and we're just you know having a good time with each other, consuming cannabis and, and try to entertain people and, and, you know, take them out of that stress space because, you know, we all know stress is a killer, you know? So, you know, we're not trying to like, um, what, you know, you see and hear what the news is doing every day and is that they're constantly pumping fear into you and, and, and fear for some that buy into that shit leads to stress. Right. And, you know, you, you're afraid to live life because you, you know you're in fear that the minute you step out the door you're going to be encountering this or that but that's life and you can't let that be an obstacle for you you got to live and you know for us we just serve as as uh you know on that particular shows we're 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 just trying to make you feel good for that time that you're with us and it, and if if there's something that we can educate you on and most of the time there is we definitely, you know, will take time to address it or we'll have people come on and uh, speak to the cannabis industry and, and uh, you know, give information that these folks might not have heard. Before. You need me on as a guest, brother. Just give me a call. Well, Tell I you, need for sure. The Dr. Green Thumb Show is on your B-Rail TV or is that two separate things? Well, yeah, it, it runs on our uh, B-Rail.TV site, but it, it uh, starts from our YouTube page, Be Real TV, YouTube, and stuff like that. We've been doing it, uh, been streaming for about uh, 12 years now. I started Be Real TV in 09, and, uh, you know, it's it's evolved into many, you know, different styles of broadcasting and whatnot. But, you know, we, we, we flipped it into a podcast form, but it's not really a podcast because it's an everyday live show. 
and uh, you know, we interact with our fans. It's a very interactive show. Like we take our time. You know, that's something that that we've always done with Cypress Hill is interact with our fans consistently. You know, whether it was going out in the crowd and shaking hands, taking pictures, autographs, meet and greets, and whatnot. So you know, this show we work in a way to to interact with them. So you know, it's also giving back to the fans, entertaining them, and giving back to them and inspiring if, if we can, because sometimes we play music and, and whatnot. So um, it, it's been fun. Wow. And then now, is that the same place you're going to be releasing this upcoming? Well, now you're going to release on Showtime. You've got an upcoming documentary, right? Right. Yeah. The Insane in the Brain uh, documenta- a documentary about our 30 years uh, that we've been doing music and whatnot. And uh, it was, it's directed by Esteban Oriol. He's uh, one of our one of our family, you know, one of our brothers. He he spent 16 years on tour with us as our tour manager, a photographer, sometimes DJ, jack of all trades. And uh, it was he he had done LA Originals with Mr. Cartoon, and he'd done a great job with that. And we were like, there's no other, there's no other person that could tell the story better than him. So you know, um, salute to him and congrats to him for you know pulling it together and making it happen and it drops on 420 and we're excited for people to see it. Great. That's unbelievable, my friend. Well, look, I can't say thank you enough, sir, for being a part of the show today. I'd love to stay in touch. Um, yes. I think I've got a lot of thought of ways to help you out. And then, you know, if you ever want me as a guest, make sure you just reach out and I'll do that for sure. And then we ought to, I'll have my people reach out to you to talk to you a little bit about getting our brand into your stores. Cause I think it might be a brand. Yes. New Yes, yes, definitely want to have you come on as a guest, man. We've been waiting for that for so long, man. And I definitely want to stay in touch with you because I want to get information from you that you think people should hear, and we're going to run that on our screen. Absolutely, my brother. I'd love to help you. I'll give you some input for that for sure. You take care of yourself. Be real. The Wait, the album out now is called what? The other side, what is it? It's Back in Black. Back in Black. Back in Black. Coming to a city near you soon. That's right. If people wanted to get information, where would they go? Is there a website? Give me the website. Yeah, yeah they can go to cypresshill.com or check in with us on the Dr. Green Thumb Show Monday through Friday live uh, on YouTube, uh, Pacific Standard Time. So, um, yeah, we're constantly pumping out tour dates and, and everything. You know, we, 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 keep, we cover it well. There you go. All right. Well, make sure you do that. Reach out and get as much information as you can. Make sure you make this tour, sir. Thank you so much again. I really respect you and I, I, I lots of props to you. And I'm glad you're kicking it as hard as you are these days. Hey, thank you very much. The, the respect is definitely mutual, man. I got much love for you and, and what you're doing and uh, we definitely got to connect. Absolutely. Well, you heard it here. So make sure you tune into the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.